The Toho guys answer the wrong wanted ad and end up working in the funeral ceremony business. Will they find their way out of this one or simply accept their new profession? Listen as they discuss the Academy Award-winning film Departures and let it guide them on their way. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro, your Japanese film club podcast. I'm your host this month, Scott Dryman. Joining me, as always, are Joey Weiser. Hello. And Alex Kazanas. I am here as well. (laughs) Uh, This month, we're talking about uh, the 2008 film Departures. So do either of y'all have any history with this film or know anything about it? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I had not seen this movie. I had not heard of this movie. Um, but when we did our episode on uh, the funeral, my girlfriend said, oh, I've seen this movie. Uh, I'll watch it with you. It'll be great. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be funny. And she's like, no, it's not. It's not funny at all. <laughs> uh, I'm like, well, it's a comedy. She's like, no, it's not. Um, so <laughs> wrong funeral movie. She saw Departures. Um, and I did not. (laughs) That's funny. Did she end up watching funeral with you? Um, yes, yes, she did. That's cool. So now she's seen them both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard of this movie. It's kind of embarrassing to say that knowing that it like won an Academy award, but I hadn't even heard of it until we were talking about until we started this podcast and we were talking about movies to cover and um scott mentioned uh his his wife amy uh liking this movie a lot and suggesting it yeah i uh, i had not seen it before but she uh, my wife amy is the one who suggested this film and uh she i think she first saw it on a plane ride and then has hmm. i think since saw it again uh, but the her short pitch for it to me was a cellist who mistakenly uh, uh, answers a, a job listing for departures uh, that turned out to be working as uh, for a mortuary and working with the departed. Um, and uh, getting into watching this film is pretty accurate summary. Uh, and the the actual typo on the the ad in the movie is pretty accurate between both English and Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, the Japanese title of the film, uh, Okurubito, uh, basically means uh, is, is a portmanteau of sending people, um, which is uh, inappropriate to the themes of the movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I was wondering that when I when I watched the movie, like how close of a pun or how many, you know, how many hoops the translators had to go through, but it seems pretty straightforward. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the, the actual uh, kernel of an idea for this movie came from the, uh, the lead actor in it, uh, Masahiro Motoki, who plays Daigo. Um, He was on a trip in India when he saw a uh, funeral ceremony on the Ganges river 
that got him really interested on in the subject of uh, uh, funeral practices and and traditions surrounding death, hmm. and uh, started writing a book on it, and ran across another book uh, by an author named Shinmon Aoki. Uh, that uh, the book is called Coffin Man, the Journal of a Buddhist Mortician. Hmm. Um, this uh, the the Buddhist mortician the the actual position is uh, called a nokanshi in Japanese uh, after uh, someone who performs the nokan or actual uh, preparation ceremony of the dead to be put in a coffin and then uh, cremated. Yeah, I didn't know anything about this, like this part of uh, Japanese funerals where they kind of, you know, make them up and make them sitting in a certain way and stuff. It was interesting to see. Yeah, this movie is a pretty good companion for the funeral uh, because that's Mm -hmm. like the one thing that we don't see in that movie. Right. Like, yeah, we see literally everything else. (laughs) Yeah, it's an it's an interesting um interesting companion to that movie and that that one's a lot more uh, focused on the kind of family dynamic. And this one is actually focused a lot more on the ritual, but they both have a lot of interplay between themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Motoki uh, decided to adapt this, uh, this memoir of a Nokanshi and chopped it around to studios for a while until uh, he finally got um, one studio, uh, Shochiku to pick up on it and they picked director Yojiro Takeda who um, was a, a pretty active director at the time but uh, maybe infamously got his start directing pink films mm. um, most notably the Train Molester series oh, um, <laughs> which it's my understanding that uh, in compared to things like Roman Porno that uh, Pinku films are are closer to American sex comedies than uh, explicit pornography, but still. So basically, pretty, uh, yeah, uh, I don't. Not a great I don't know start. Much. I don't know much about Pink films, so that's basically the equivalent of just raunchy sex comedies. Or I think I guess, so. I think it's kind of like movies with light amount of nudity and some sexual content in them, because you also a, a term that's pretty that's fairly well known in the u.s is pinky violence which is kind of um the sort of like 70s well i don't know that i think through the 90s like kind of like raunchy violent movies with like girl gangs and things like that oh okay um, yeah but yeah but closer I think to that exploitation from, than just straight yeah. up pornography yeah gotcha gotcha um, but by the time that he was directing this in 2008, he had he had long since moved on to directing traditional films. But as just an interesting piece of trivia, uh, the screenplay for this was written by uh, or the the adaptation of the the book into a screenplay was done by Kundo Kuyama, who is uh, better known as the uh, the lead writer for the Iron Chef television series oh. in Japan. Nice. Good writing um, on that show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, as I said, uh, Shinmon Aoki is the one who wrote the original novel. And uh, being a devout Buddhist, he was actually um, had it took issue with a lot of the the way the the movie turned out. 
because he felt that the kind of they extracted a lot of the the philosophy and ritual from his writing, but Mm. did not take a lot of the Buddhist spirituality. And he didn't see it as being something that could be separated from from the actual uh, work. But when the movie was finally completed and came out, he he viewed it pretty favorably uh, in spite of those criticisms. Hmm. That's cool. That's interesting. Does it say anything in there about uh, or is anything remarked upon about like the uh, how much of the movie also focuses on, um, you know, outlookers looking in on this, uh, you know, on this profession? Uh yeah, a lot of what actually sparked Masahiro Motoki's interest in this was kind of the public perception of the job of uh, of Nokanshi and Shinman Yogi's kind of uh, dealing with that in his personal life of the kind of discrimination and, and weird uh, uh, interactions that he had with that. So that's yeah, a, that's like a lot of the stuff that that was accurately taken from the book into the film. Interesting. Um, I wonder yeah, about that. Yeah, as a as as a kind of a cultural note, um, historically in Japan, anybody that was dealing with dead bodies was uh, in in older times was considered of uh, the untouchable class. And oh. so it was a very low position. And the reason it was kind of tolerated for Nokanshi was the, the Buddhist monks would do this ceremony and then had the ability to go cleanse themselves after dealing with dead bodies. Um, but it they were still viewed as outsiders. Yeah, that's an aspect of the movie that I kind of struggled with uh, at first and kind of got uh, more accustomed to that I didn't realize that and so it, it kind of at first I was really kind of having trouble being like well why doesn't he just tell his wife what he's doing and what what is you know why is he being so weird about it and all this stuff uh, and then now I kind of at, throughout the movie he starts being kind of shunned by other people and things like that and it, that made me realize what uh, was going on yeah, well, while there's no like codified untouchable class in Japan, it's people who work with with dead bodies are still um, treated at a distance and and sometimes discriminated against. And even in modern day, um, uh, for the rest of the crew, the uh, the the big notable thing is the music for this film is done by uh, Joe Hisaishi, uh, who uh, he is. Uh, we've covered him a lot. Uh, in this podcast before he's Mm -hmm. a constant collaborator with Hayami Zaki and uh, he says she just does wonderful orchestral scores and uh, we will talk more about the music later. I'm very excited too. Um, So the cast, as I said, uh, Masahiro Motoki is the one who basically uh, had the idea to get this movie made. Um, I didn't. I the only thing that I knew he was in is uh, Takashi Miike's Bird People in China, mm. which is a movie I've seen the cover of at video stores constantly, but never actually watched. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't uh, don't know anything about that. Yeah, I've got a copy of it. I've never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> that was during my big um, like I have to acquire every Miike movie phase. 
Um, uh, Daigo's wife, Mika, uh, was originally going to be cast as somebody around his own age, but then they decided to cast uh, somebody younger who was uh, coming off the uh, the idol circuit, uh, Ryoko Hirosue, who is uh, probably better known in the West for being the uh, Japanese daughter playing across uh, from Jean Renault in the movie Wasabi, which oh, I have wow. also not watched. I saw that in college a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> it's basically like the professional <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> um, yeah. um, the secretary of the, uh, the uh, NK agency, uh, Yuriko, is played by Kimiko Yo, who I recognized from Shin Godzilla, where she played the defense minister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought she looked familiar. Yeah, oh, there's and, there's so uh, many people in Shin Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, for some reason, like I'm normally not the best at recognizing people or or placing them, but I instantly recognized her, and she she's great in this. Uh, and then maybe our most most notable cast member in this, uh, the the uh, Ikue Sasuke, played by uh, Tomo Yamazaki, who was Goro and Tampopo. Yep. Um, He's, yeah, I, I uh, easily recognizable. He just yeah. needed a he just needed a, a cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for for most of the movie, he's just referred to as boss or the boss. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so as I said, the the Japanese title uh, Okurubito is a portmanteau of sending people and. A uh, big theme of this job is that you the uh, the no kanchi is preparing these people to uh, go into the afterlife, um, and and hence the title. And uh, so, getting into the synopsis, the first thing I noticed was I really like the modern uh, Shochiku logo. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like really pretty colors. Mm-hmm. Um. But the the film starts uh, in media res uh, in kind of a confusing initial scene where we have uh, very sparse uh, music playing over this very hazy, snowy landscape. Um, It's kind of foreboding. There's a lot of blowing winds. And then uh, as we are transported into the car and Daigo is talking a little bit about... uh, how he ended up here, uh, the soundtrack becomes a little warmer and the haze clears out uh, until we get a a beautiful shot of snowy winter in Yamagata Prefecture where the movie was actually filmed. And it's uh, Daigo and the boss uh, arriving to do a no-con ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got kind of uh, pretty uncomfortable here for a hot second. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because as there's this strong sense of solemnity and wonder as the family looks on while Daigo does this ritual of of preparing and cleaning the deceased family member. And uh, then... He pauses uh, with confusion when he realizes the woman he is uh, he is cleaning has a penis, mm-hmm. and it's played for a comedy beat as he goes to uh, 
to the boss to kind of say, I, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, and there's like different like ways to prepare the body if it were, you know, traditionally a man or a woman. And so they have to kind of like, you know, deal with yeah, that issue. As, so I was real uncomfortable with this for a minute because it's played for comedy and opening up on a, a deceased trans woman who apparently like contextually seems to have died from suicide mm-hmm. um, was rough. But uh, the boss asks the family whether they want her prepared with uh, male or female makeup. And after some weird back and forth between the family, they agree on um, on uh, female makeup and the film kind of course corrects. And from then on, it's treated pretty respectfully uh, past that initial comedy beat. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, buried with a red dress and her family is very mournful, but like seem seem very satisfied with the job that. Uh, they, that the Nokanshi have done in preparing her and uh, trying to make her look pretty as she did in life. And uh, then we jump back to the the past um, from that scene of an orchestra playing Ode to Joy. Uh, yeah, I feel like if, if you're going to hear any uh, classic orchestra tune it's going to be ode to joy in a japanese movie <laughs> yeah i know that struck me too i was like oh man how uh how japanese of this <laughs> um although to be honest it's pretty ubiquitous in in western movies too is like the piece of classical music people know yeah um but we uh we see daigo as a cellist um and he he's playing with the orchestra who in the subsequent scene the orchestra is disbanded um, for not making enough money. Uh, and the, the owner very quickly just says uh, there's no more orchestra and apologizes and leaves. And everybody kind of cuts out. Uh, Daigo is uh, dumbfounded by this. Um, he c- comes home, tells his wife, and the reason he is distraught is that the uh, or most distraught is that the cello he has just bought for this job uh, in uh, U.S. dollars costs about one hundred sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, that is crazy. Yes, yeah. yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, money. which like I was watching I, this with Melissa, and she was like, "Do you think they got that conversion right?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> um, that is uh, from it's. Uh, what I know about fancy musical instruments, uh, they do get up to like up to six digit numbers and $160,000 would probably be a like 150 year old antique cello that's in incredible mm-hmm. condition. So that's a, yeah. a, a real possible price. But it like in the context of the movie, I don't know that somebody... Uh, who just got his first big orchestra job would run out and buy such a cello. Yeah. But, the bold uh, move. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, he agrees to, uh, sell the cello and they're going to move back into his, uh, his mother's house in Yamagata because, uh, he, now that he is no longer in, uh, uh hired by the orchestra, he can't sustain the lifestyle that they have right now. 
Um, there is a, a scene that I can't quite pinpoint the exact poignancy where they have an octopus from the neighbors <laughs> um, that uh, that one of the neighbors caught fishing that is they discover is still alive and then go they go and take it and release it back into the river because they don't know what to do with it. And uh, then once they throw it into the river, it dies. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't been able to properly dissect that scene to, to figure out the theming, but it's just sad. Yeah. Um, so from there, uh, they, they go back to um, his mother's house, which is actually uh, a coffee shop. It's a really uh, cool house. Yeah, I love that set. It's just filled with like, it's got a bunch of tables and, and chairs and stuff, but it's also got a ton of books and records just sitting around. Yeah, and the whole like architecture of it is really interesting. It's like a very tall, skinny space where there's like these big stairwells and beams and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and this is where he sees the job listing for the NK agency assisting with departures. Um, but when he actually goes to the agency to inquire about the job, he learns that uh, NK stands for NOCON, uh, the the encoffinment ceremony. And uh, instead of departures, it was actually supposed to say assisting with the departed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so Daigo meets uh, meets Yuriko, the secretary, uh, and who's kind of bemused when she realizes the misunderstanding. Uh, and then uh, the boss shows up, uh, kind of gives him a, a brief look over without even reviewing his resume, which he just tosses to the side and uh, hires him on the spot. Um, uh, he's he's the boss is very taciturn. And kind of briefly loses interest in Daigo while uh, staring at a cactus that he has growing, kind of marveling at the fact that it's uh, it's blooming. And uh, once he reveals the the misprint to Daigo, Daigo's discomfort is is pretty evident, which uh, one thing I really love about um, Motoki's performance is like the kind of dismayed faces he's able to make. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but he says, I just go ahead, give it a try for a little bit. If you don't like it, you can quit and goes ahead and gives him a day's pay. And, uh, he's, uh, he's uncomfortable with this, but he decides to, um, to buy a fancy dinner for him and his wife and, uh, comes home and is super squirrely about telling his wife what he actually does, uh, as we discussed earlier, because, uh, this is a kind of uncomfortable thing. And so he just says, uh, it's not a travel agency. I'm, uh, helping with ceremonies. <laughs> um, and so his, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really funny that she was like, Oh, cool. Like weddings. Yeah. Maybe you can play your cello. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. Like, and then she doesn't like ask about it at all afterwards, which I think yeah. is kind of funny. Um, so his, his next first full day on the job, he showed, he is directed to a local theater, uh, which is an actual theater in the town they were filming at that had been closed since I think 2002, it said, um, 
but they're using it as a set. And uh, it is the boss recording an information video on how to perform the NoCon ceremony. <laughs> and they're using him as the uh, the stunt corpse. <laughs> and this this reminded me a lot of the funeral. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a like funeral instructional video thing too <laughs> yeah funny. yeah um the 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 actual video itself is actually pretty down-to-earth informative and not like like the situations are played for laughs but i think mm-hmm. it's a little less intentionally goofy yeah um and and there's just light-hearted playful music playing over the scene there's a bunch of, of comedy beats uh ending when he uh, his nose tickles too much while he's uh, while the boss is shaving him, and he moves and cuts his face on the razor. Um, but they assure him that this is just like a trade video, and no one's ever really going to see it. Um, and uh, so from there, they go to his first uh, real job, which is a long deceased older woman who is living alone. And uh, it's very notably the the rest of the the deceased in the film are actually shown on camera, but they're very like, um, like clean looking, prepared, recently dead. And yeah. the older woman who is very specifically uh, been in her apartment alone for weeks. Do uh, you see her feet, but nothing else of her? But it's implied that she is. Um, has been decaying for a while and Daigo cannot handle it. And uh, the boss kind of apologizes, pays him, and then uh, tells him to go ahead and home because that's not a good first day for him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love his... Uh, <laughs> I love uh, how, um, you know, how nonchalant he was about like, oh, you know, this is probably a, a bad uh, a bad experience for your first day <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah maybe maybe this isn't the best here's here's some money just go ahead take go home buddy yeah his um, boss kind of like waffles between seeming totally aloof and like unaware uh and and kind of a weirdo to seeming just kind of like uh not saying too much because he knows that it'll like trying not to give this guy a chance to back out, you know, kind of. And so sometimes he seems very cunning and kind of wise. It's a, it's an interesting mix. Yeah. It's hard to read whether it's just like, he doesn't see this as being anything special or, or bizarre, Mm -hmm. uh, or if he actually does and he's just trying not to scare him off. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but but following this, he's riding the bus home when some the girls in front of him start talking about a weird, gross smell, and he realizes it's, it's him. Uh, so he goes to the local bathhouse, which is uh, still run by the mother of a childhood friend who uh, from when he grew up here. Um, so she ta- he talks to her for a little while. There's an, an older man in the bathhouse that is kind of flirty with the uh, with the owner. Uh, and then uh, we get like this scene of him like uh, scrubbing himself frantically. <laughs> that is also kind of funny. Um, trying to to clean the smell off of him. Uh, and then after he's done in the bathhouse, he meets his uh, his this childhood friend out there. Meets his the friend's uh, daughter, uh, 
and the friend kind of uh, harangues his mother about quitting the bathhouse because she's running it by herself and just getting older. Uh, but she refuses. But he uh, he seems he's got a good rapport with this childhood friend he's reconnecting with, and they agree to have drinks together sometime. And then uh, when he goes home to uh, see his wife uh, from the bathhouse, there is a really striking scene where, like, uh, at first he th- you think that he's just trying to, like, um, he, he really wants to have sex with his wife because he starts ripping her clothes off uh, it, because, like, just some weird reaction. But he is actually, like trying to get skin to skin contact to kind of reestablish that, that human warmth of life mm-hmm. uh, because of his, uh, his, his close run in with death today, seeing this uh, dealing with this uh, older woman who passed away. And uh, it's just very fascinating the way he's like just pressing his face into her stomach, trying like just trying to get that, that warmth and feeling of being alive. Um, next he, he goes and pulls out his, uh, childhood cello because he wants to, to play the cello to calm himself. And we see, uh, see a rock in there and we get a flashback with his father where he can't remember his father's face. Uh, up to this point, he's, he's been dismissive of his father for leaving his mother, uh, who eventually raised him alone. And, uh. There's a flashback where he and his father exchange stones in a in a riverside, and uh, the he still he that stone stayed in his uh, childhood cello case. Mm-hmm. Then uh, then he goes back uh, the next day. He goes back to the river and is kind of watching salmon swimming upstream. Uh, and the the old dude from bathhouse stops by, talking to him for a little bit about how. Uh, they uh, swim upstream to spawn and that how they kind of return to where they were born, kind of poking at Daigo for uh, coming back to his hometown, uh, even though Daigo is kind of dismissive of the uh, the life of these fish, even though he is following a similar arc. Hmm. Um, and so uh, the boss then pulls up in the hearse uh, and says, come on, we've got, we've got a job and takes him to uh, our full first full encoffinment ceremony or Daigo's first full encoffinment ceremony. Um, they show up late and the husband is very angry and, but the boss shows up and uh, Daigo just watches as the boss completes the ceremony and, uh, makes up this uh, this man's wife. He asks for her favorite lipstick, which one of the the daughters runs and grabs. And uh, by the time he is done preparing her, the the whole family is incredibly moved, and uh, the the husband apologizes for haranguing them about being late and and thanks them profusely for uh, for making her beautiful. Uh, before uh, before he saw her off. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, then Daigo and his wife that night go to the bathhouse together. Uh, and the while 
Uh, Daigo's in the men's side. The woman who runs the bathhouse talks to Daigo's wife, Miku, about uh, Daigo as a child and how he wouldn't cry in front of anybody, but she knows that after his father left, he would, like, cry to himself in the bathhouse. Um... But uh, as they're leaving, there's this really cute scene of it snowing outside and uh, 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 Daigo and, and, and uh, uh, Miku are like, well, let's let's go out somewhere and go get it. Or Mika uh, or like, let's go get a drink somewhere. He's like, I know just the place. And they're like, let's go. And they keep saying, uh, Iku, Iku, uh, let's <laughs> go back and forth together a bunch of times as it's snowing is really cute. Yeah, that was really cute. Um, so they they go back to their uh, their coffee house house and have some toddies and uh, 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 Mika starts talking to him about or starts talking to Daigo about his dad. Daigo says I would hit him if I saw him. Um, and kind of kind of recounts his anger towards his father. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays a record that uh, that apparently was one of her his dad's favorites that his mom never threw out which Mika thinks is a sign that his mom still loved his dad but uh Daigo is dismissive of all this um and then later that night after they've gone to bed um uh, Daigo's woken up by his cell phone ringing and they've got a job to do in the middle of the night and uh his, his wife kind of wakes up and knows there's something weird going on yeah man i tell you that was like uh i i was putting myself in his shoes just then like Mm -hmm. getting maybe two hours of sleep after like you know drinking the night before (laughs) yeah that's the last thing i want to do is get up and (laughs) and go to work god like Um, what a what a nightmare it's such a it's such an yeah. adult thing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. But but that's that's an odd thing about it is that like that line of work, people die at all hours and if depending on when they're they're doing the ceremony and pre- preparing the body, you like the the deceased don't care about what time it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um so the next day he he talks to Yuriko and she tells a story about how she ended up there uh with the job and uh, a little bit of background with the boss um later that day he runs into his childhood friend again but at this point uh word has gotten around that Daigo is an Okanchi and uh his childhood friend refuses to talk to him and tells his daughter not to talk to him and is like look people People are talking. You should uh, you should go get a proper job and stop doing all this nonsense. Yeah. Ouch. And then. Yeah. And uh, then when Daigo gets home, she uh, Mika is watching the training video that she has somehow gotten a hold of and uh, uh, also demands that he get a proper job. And uh, threatens to leave, but he uh, Daigo already is is willing to defend this job because he's like, everybody dies. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Like, there's nothing to be ashamed of in this in this uh, in this line of work. 
but uh, she's not hearing it. And uh, she basically says, I'm going to leave and I won't come back until you quit this job. And there is something. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. There's something okay. uh, she. Yeah, there's something in the scene that she says that I think is interesting. Uh, when we were watching this, uh, me and Bethany, she was saying at the beginning, like, man, she's like. She'll just do anything for him, huh? Like mm-hmm. she's not even batting an eye going to his hometown, like moving away from like her life in the city. And then during this during this scene, she says, you know, I did you you know, did you notice my face? I just I always smile for you. I just smile and nod and, you know, let you make all the decisions. Just do this one thing for me, because I always do this kind of thing for you. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was that bit of a uh, uh, reciprocation um, that was that was interesting. Um, I thought it was cool that we saw a bit of her perspective on the matter. Yeah, because she's like she's upset when he when the he, she finds out about the orchestra draw job, and even more upset when she finds out about the cost of the cello and everything. But she's she like after her initial reaction, she kind of calms down. Is like we will deal with this. We can handle it. We'll figure this out. And this is the first time she, that she's really like. Do you think I was really okay with all of this? Like, yeah. I've I've made these. I was upset. I I've made these sacrifices. Like you said, you need to do this for me. Um, yeah, I was but, especially struck by that at the beginning when he was. She was just like, "What are we going to do now?" Or "What are you going to do now?" And he's like, "I'm going to move back to my hometown." And it was like at, at that moment, I was like, "Wait, what is their relationship? Is he asking her to come with him or not?" Or and then she's like, "Of course, we'll go together," you know. And it's just like, yeah, I. I I'm glad that it was addressed in this scene that she's just been kind of going along with everything uh, that he says. You know. Yeah, I I like Mika a lot as a character, and I especially like that like that so many films in general like want to super doll up their their female leads and and stuff, and like both her portrayal is as his wife is very realistic but also the fact that like even though she's a very pretty woman and a somebody who's getting into acting from being an idol they don't like give her excessive amounts of makeup when she's just like hanging out with him at home and stuff Mm. um and and both both she and him are really attractive people and they they get that across less by trying to doll them up and more by like the the way they're lighting and especially something I notice is I guess some way they're lighting their eyes that they seem to pop more hmm. uh, than typical in a lot of close up shots. Um, but following this scene, uh, Mika leaves town, uh, catches a train uh, back somewhere else, and uh, we see Daigo. Uh, going off to do a bunch of his own uh, early uh, no kanchi uh, jobs by himself. Uh, one and he uh, he shows up and uh, a mother he's he's making up a uh, a daughter who deceased in the motorcycle accident, and the mother starts berating him for getting the girl's makeup all wrong. The uh, the kind of delinquent boyfriend is there and uh, the father blames the boyfriend for for all this and they start the whole family starts fighting uh, until the father says something like you need to get your shit together or you'll end up like him pointing to Daigo 
So um, the uh, the young lady who's uh, who's playing the corpse is, uh, I believe, Koshi Basaki, uh, who played Gogo Yubari in Kill Bill, and she was also in Battle Royale. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, Wait, yeah. I was she. Yes, I I recognized. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I haven't looked at the IMDb, but I I made a note of that 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 uh, it's Koshi Basaki. Hmm. Um, um. Yeah. Huh. And I thought uh, I thought it was interesting because she's like the girlfriend of the Yankee uh, delinquent. <laughs> yeah. And his and his buddies are there too, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I like them. Uh I yeah. There it was sort of endearing, but then it also becomes this very awkward uh spot for the you know, our our characters to be in the middle of a, a family quarrel like that. Yeah. Oh god, I'm sorry. Uh it's not Koji yes. Basaki. Uh Chiaki uh yes. Kuriyama. Yeah, Chiaki Kurama. I always mix the two up. Because <laughs> um, I think uh, Koshi Basaki was supposed to be in Kill Bill Volume 2. Um, um, that's where my wires get crossed. But yeah, a, a fun note is that uh, specifically for this film, they went and sought out uh, actors and actresses that could stand, that could lay there deathly still, not breathing for long periods of time, <laughs> uh, specifically to make those takes uh, a, a lot easier. Um, which I thought was a neat, smart thing to do. Yeah, totally. You yeah. didn't have to do like weird film tricks to try to get still shots where they're not breathing. Um, so after after this disaster, he kind of goes back, or Daigo goes back, um, to uh, try to quit. And uh, the, uh, the secretary or your code tells him like, you, you shouldn't like the boss saw something in you. Uh, the reason he hired you on the spot the way he did is because he's good at like reading people and he like knows this is in you. But if you really want to quit, you need to go tell him yourself. And uh, she points upstairs and we get this like uh, very interesting vertical shot. Like there's not a lot of fancy camera work or anything in this film, but uh, we get a, a shot down from the ceiling as of the two of them, like looking upwards because this thus far in the film, we haven't gone upstairs in the NK agency. Um, yeah, that's true. And so th- there've been, pl- there are a number of like small plants downstairs, <laughs> but then as we move uh, further upstairs to where the boss actually lives, there's just progressively more and more plants until, Daigo actually opens the door and it's just this room just packed to the gills with just greenery everywhere. Yeah. It's like one of those, like the, the rainforest room in the zoo or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's really great. And, and like, it's, it's, it's a cool character note that somebody who deals with death every day is like still trying to surround himself with life uh, Mm. and just in a different way. But he's like, sustaining all of these plants and surrounding himself with it that he can he can be reminded of like things die but there's still life all around us oh, that's really cool yeah i just initially read it as like a another eccentricity of this kind of yeah. kooky guy but uh yeah i like that a lot um which it, it fits in with the uh, the kind of discussion that they have when he comes up here um he is cooking on a grill and uh, it calls for Daigo to come over and sit down. He's like, uh, eat. I'm probably a better cook than you are. 
and and tells tells Daigo that even though his wife's gone, he like needs to be taking care of himself and eating, and kind of the idea it, that like, go ahead. Sorry, I don't know if this is uh, after this or before this, but there is like a very brief like montage where we see him putting like. What is it? He just has like a whole baguette and he puts like a slice of. Oh, that's later. That is so fucking gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm about to get into it. It's starting okay. in this scene, but this is like in terms of appetizing food, this is like the opposite of Tampopo. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, man, this guy has a, a history of food. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, sorry but to yeah, interrupt. Go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, he kind of he, he gives a speech about like the importance of living and that like things die, but we need to live while we're here, and that like the th- things die to give us life because it's what we consume. And he uh, he talks about his dead wife, uh, pointing to a picture behind him, and. Uh, and and what is probably the best part of his performance, I think, uh, remarks that when he talks about how like one of you always goes first, and then remarks that uh, I made her beautiful and sent her off, and the way he says that and the kind of like wistful smile he gives is just incredibly moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, this is a great scene. But uh, he remarks that she was my first. And uh, an interesting thing about Nokanshi is that uh, in in older times, it was not uncommon for uh, for families themselves to kind of do this ritual. And that it was uh, only in, in slightly more modern times that uh, that Nokanshi actually came more in demand as kind of this boutique service. Uh, so families didn't have to uh, be as intimate with their own deceased. And so I feel like it's it's kind of uh, plausible that that was his jumping off point from doing that to a family member to mm. jumping into it as a profession. Um, and then uh, then we get to the actual food part. He is uh, cooking what the uh, the subtitles refer to as puffer row. Um, it is actually uh, puffer milt, which is the seminal fluid of the fish. Mm. And uh, so it's got like a kind of custard-like consistency and is usually grilled. So it's got like a little crispy on the outside. And then the way he eats it <laughs> is just disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> just like sucking and slurping on it. And it's just yeah. like, oh, my God. And it's already a kind of weird food, but for him to eat it like that and they're talking about how delicious it is. And I, it was hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but both of them, they, they each eat it and remark on like how delicious it is. And, and he, uh, he says, I feel, or, uh, boss says something like, I feel guilty for eating it. Um, but uh, then we circle back to the beginning of the film, uh, the scene with the uh, with the trans woman and her family, and uh, in in language that I can forgive uh, for being a different culture and being a, a ten year old movie, um, they t- the father talks to them afterwards with like 
thankful tears in his eyes talking about they they helped him realize that uh, in his words that even though my son dresses as a girl, he's still my son and like gives him some like closure, recognizing the way she lived her life and and is a real touching moment. Um, yeah, with with this with with this woman and also the like the punk girl, there was like debate over whether or not they should like change her hair back to its natural color and stuff. And I mm-hmm. kind of like that there's a certain amount of respect given to like presenting them as they as the the deceased wished, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they like the, I want. I, I do yeah. wonder actually if like practices are like that. Uh, mm. IRL, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it, it it probably varies a lot from family to family, but I like that the film presents this idea of like families, the, the families in the film don't want to remember like their personal idealized pe- version of these people. They want to remember them as they lived, like you said. Yeah. Um. Uh, so following following the the f- uh, final closure on that scene, uh, we get another disgusting eating scene where this time they're <laughs> eating fried chicken to let us know that it is oh, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese yep. eat fried chicken for Christmas. But yeah, the way they're just like slurping on this fried chicken, like the sound effects are really gross. It's way too close up. I, yeah, I think it's not really like lingering in the fact that it's carcasses, you know, like that they're yeah. <laughs> it's definitely to a point, but yeah, or that like once again, like the dead nourish the living, but it is so gross. Yeah. Um but uh kind of uh which which feels uh, something that feels uh more pointed given Shimone Oki's uh kind of criticisms of the movie is that they ask uh, uh, Daigo has his cello and they ask him to play a Christmas song and he says something like what n- no problems with uh, with religious affiliation and uh, they say something like Buddhist Christian Hindu whatever we we don't discriminate <laughs> um, but uh, and and then Daigo plays a an arrangement of Ave Maria that brings uh, all of them to tears um, with its kind of beauty and poignancy. is inter- how well it's interspersed with Saishi's uh, soundtrack. We can mm. talk about that later, of course, but this is one part of the movie that I definitely noted that. Um, mm. Like, yeah, it, it's... It, his, uh, his cello playing does sound uh, remarkably um, individual in comparison. Yeah, the... Uh, I uh, Another thing about uh, Motoki is he actually... 
in kind of a method actor way between being so passionate about the subject, but he also actually learned how to play the cello for the film. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know how much that. of that is actually him playing versus a professional, but like his his the actual movements of playing and like the the fingering and bow movements and everything were actually really good. Um, but yeah, the integration between like his Hashi's score for this, and it's his his own arrangement of uh, Ave Maria that's being played, and it's all just like masterful um, and and yeah from from him playing Ave Maria we get uh, the the kind of like main theme of the film being played uh, by Daigo uh, on a, uh, a, a some kind of like embankment or dike uh-huh. or something uh, with the back- backdrop of these beautiful mountainsides behind him that they use for the cover of the, the film and all the posters. Uh, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, song and a montage of Daigo doing these like very like poignant happy uh no con ceremonies with families saying goodbye to their loved ones um and this is this is the one part of the film that that really got me was specifically there's a scene where a uh, a father has been or has is deceased and following or as part of the ceremony when you're supposed to kind of wipe the head and tell them goodbye and all of the women in the family like put on lipstick and leave a kiss on him and they're all kind of like but both sad but like giddy happy with it yeah and like that that scene really got me yeah that was cute i liked it too but this is kind of him in ascendancy and like fully fully realizing that people discriminate against this job but it is such an important thing to help these families get closure and this is maybe the most contrasted with the funeral where like the funeral is about how how messy uh funerals actually are um because of all the human drama and all this baggage and stuff and this is the the point at which like i said this this shows how important it is to give this kind of closure and give families a chance to say a proper goodbye. Um, so after this, uh, Mika comes back home to let him know that, uh, that she is pregnant, uh, kind of closing, closing the loop on those, uh, salmon swimming upstream to spawn, hmm. uh, back to the hometown. <laughs> um, and uh, she once again asks him to quit. Uh, but in the middle of their argument, uh, he's called and there's a job. And it is the uh, woman who runs the bathhouse who they were both pretty close with. And so he uh, he shows up and does the no con ceremony for 
the bathhouse woman with both Mika and his uh, childhood friend who had kind of derided him earlier um, looking on and both both uh, Mika and his friend uh, being able to see the kind of like skill and care and and devotion this job takes uh, up close and personal and uh, both coming away with a very different perspective on his work. Yeah, I think um, it's I think it's pretty interesting that she comes back to, you know, tell him that like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. And now that you know this, surely you have to quit the job. Yeah. Like, um, and if he didn't get that call, like, what was he going to do? I wonder. Yeah. yeah you know? it's, it's really curious. Oh, and it is the during the like positive no con ceremony montage when he eats he yeah it's just like like a monster bachelor puts a he, he covers the top of a baguette like has just like been eating it eating the baguette downward covers it in in mayo puts a like piece of toro tuna on top and then i can't remember what else he puts I think on he just there chomps into it at that point maybe okay and yeah and just yeah. like takes a huge bite and it's so gross <laughs> that's like, a, honestly, yeah, that's when speaking of like a bachelor it like that he can't cook for himself uh like uh his boss was saying i was like this yeah. is a great illustration of that <laughs> i don't think that's that gross my dad does that <laughs> <laughs> no i my think, dad will do that I think like, it's fine i just think it's hilarious that he didn't even slice the baguette that it's just he's holding the entire baguette and then just uh, like <laughs> it's oh, just yeah, yeah just like chomping off it. the end it's so yeah. oh my god I think it's hilarious. my dad will do that with he's um, such a mess feta. he'll do that with feta and a tomato nice uh because he's Greek. Like that's what I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't have my own fair share of like shameful <laughs> standing in front of the fridge eating cheese by the handful moments or anything, but Oh no, I've I've definitely yeah. eaten like eaten stuff over the trash can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, but it's yeah. I don't know, there's something just eating smearing the top of that baguette with mayo is and then just putting this delicious looking piece of fish on top. Yeah, yeah. Just is so transgressive <laughs> to me. From my experience, I mean, I'm not a big mayo <laughs> fan, but from my experience, <clears throat> Japan's use of mayo is egregious. <laughs> uh, I would often um, be given a beautiful looking dish, and then right before it hit the table in front of me, it would get covered in mayo and ketchup. And I'd be like, is this for my benefit? <laughs> But um, anyway, um, I like mayo and I still think you're right that their their use of mayo is a bit egregious at times. <laughs> um, so uh, after after the actual uh, no con ceremony for the uh, woman who runs the bathhouse, they uh, they take her to be cremated and we learn that the old man who had flirted with her regularly at the bathhouse is actually the man who uh, operates the crematorium. And, uh, and they, they notice diagnosis when they walk in. Um, and he's the last one to close the window on the casket, uh, which seems to be a, a specifically Buddhist thing because at one point they do a, 
ceremony for a uh, for a child with a Christian family who have a traditional Western Western style casket. Um, so I think the like viewing window maybe specifically Buddhist. Mm. Um, but he the the old man tells the woman, "Thank you. We'll meet again." quietly before he closes it and uh then uh as before he actually yeah after he puts her into the to the cremation uh oven he talks with the son i think uh, yamashita is the the family name um they talk together and he talks about their last christmas together and how they he and uh yamashita's mom had this kind of fun time almost pretending to be young lovers again, even though they're these two old folks. Um, but that he thinks she knew that, uh, that, that her time was close because she asked him to help, uh, heat the baths, which both she's been depicted as being like fiercely self-reliant being like, I can run this place myself. So the idea of asking for help, but also the kind of like subconscious knowledge, uh, that he's, uh, good at fires and, and kind of what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but he goes on to say that like death is a gateway and that he has been seeing these people off, uh, through that and he thinks that he will he will see them all again someday when he goes and uh kind of kind of goes back to the idea to the title of the film that um these this ceremony the the nokan and the cremation is not just to give closure to the families but to kind of send send these folks off into the afterlife to to meet to meet properly whatever comes next to be properly prepared. And then uh, with, with tears in his eyes, he says, off you go, we'll meet again. And, and triggers the, the oven. I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what it is, but um, maybe in, in the, you know, is it Japanese custom to, to actually watch the cremation happen? I, I mean, I don't know if this is the case in, you know, over here. I've been to my sh- fair share of funerals, uh, some cremations, uh, but, you know, I don't know if, if it's customary to actually see the cremation Yeah, I mean, it's like happen. in both in this and in um, the funeral, they were there and it was like you had the option of viewing it. I I don't think it's typical to actually view it because yeah. both in this and in that it's framed as like like in this Yamashita specifically asks like can I can I like specifically ask if he can watch mm-hmm. and in the funeral the reason they end up watching is because the kids are running around where they shouldn't and they say something of like right we can see we can see the bones or whatever mm-hmm. Um, and then everybody kind of just like following the kids shows up to where you can actually see. So I think it's unusual and that it's just depicted in these films as to, to make a point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as for here in the West, I, the only funerals I've attended have been either uh, memorial services or burials. So I don't know. Yeah. Same. Um, uh, so following this scene, we, uh, uh, Daigo and, and Mika are back at home and we actually learn the story of, of, or no, they're back. They're walking around the riverside and he tells a story or hands his wife a rock and tells her a story about how a uh, long time ago when people couldn't actually write letters because um, they couldn't write or didn't have paper, uh, they would just send each other stones with kind of like a stone both imbued with the idea and representing whatever kind of uh, emotion you were trying to convey to the recipient. And Mika asks him where he heard this story and he reluctantly answers that his dad told it to him. And we kind of, we finally understand why, like the meaning of them exchanging those rocks in the flashback. Mm hmm. And uh, he gives her, or they, uh, he and his wife exchange rocks, and he says, "What? What did you? What is yours mean?" And she won't tell him. Um, and then he goes off to work. Uh, I think the next day, and or at some time in in the future, and uh. While he's gone, he's left his cell phone at home and Mika receives a letter saying that Daigo's father has passed away, who he's been estranged from this whole this whole time. And when he she finally catches him at the uh, at the NK agency, he refuses to go. And then uh, she finally convinces him that, like, you need to go do this. You need to actually like see him before he uh and, and like gets some closure on this and he re he finally relents and the boss tells him to take one of the caskets with him uh as kind of a gift and they drive off and we get a a very interesting different perspective because as they're sitting there watching over uh his father's uh, dead body and kind of like contemplating what kind of man lives a life where his entire life can be packed in away into a single box when he dies. Um, the, uh, the, the local city, um, I guess deceased removal folks. I, I don't know if they actually call themselves, uh, uh no country. There's another, uh, less ceremonial uh, title for people who who prepare the bodies, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, and it's not in my notes. Um, but they show up and uh, just hastily try to like put him into the into the casket, and uh, Daigo is furious, like "What are you doing?" And they stop him from moving the body, and uh, uh, Mika's like, "It's okay, he's a professional," and so. Daigo decides to prepare his own father um, to go in the casket. And as he's uh, trying to move his uh, his hands and massage out the rigor mortis, he realizes that in his dying moments, uh, his father was holding 
uh, Daigo's stone letter and that he still had some kind of affection and connection to him even as he died. And so this and then completing the ceremony gives uh, Daigo closure and he can finally remember his father's face from when he was a child, which has been uh, previously blurred out through the rest of the movie. Yeah, that was a good, effective, like simple effect, but um, yeah, very nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then once once that's finally over, um, Mika picks up the rock and, and tries to give it back to Daigo and Daigo holds it for a second and then uh, presses it towards Mika's stomach and their unborn child to kind of like I'm I'm passing down this this piece of affection uh, to our child and the film ends. I think it's a, a very, very sweet ending that gives kind of closure and and let's let's the two of them kind of look forward to new life mm. uh, even after death. So uh, and then we just have a a uh, him performing in a no con ceremony on a body over kind of like a black background as music plays. Uh, so Joey, what was your, yes. uh, what'd you think overall? Uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I found myself not really knowing what to say, like not having much to say about it, I guess. I just thought it was really good and I enjoyed it, but I don't know. I did, I did have some, trouble with it at first like i said i i i was extremely frustrated with the lack of communication between he and his wife which i understand is is a cultural thing as well as just being a a people thing but um i was having some trouble with that as well as um you know not immediately grasping the sort of severity of of the fact that he was working at this, this this position that was kind of uh shunned and outcasted to some extent um but after kind of being able to click in with that a bit, I, I, I definitely like, you know, was still on board with the movie. Um, and I think all the performances uh, were great. You know, I'm a huge, I, you know, we all love Satomu Yamazaki and, um, and, you know, it was beautifully shot and stuff. But I just, I don't know, I just kind of, it kind of left me thinking like, yeah, that was good. You know, solid, good movie, <laughs> you know. Um, okay. I'm, I'm curious to hear what else you guys think about it. Uh, Alex? I loved it. Um, <laughs> I really loved it. I thought it was a very beautiful movie. Um, I uh, I cried a lot, actually, during this movie. Um, and a lot of, at a lot of parts. The stuff with his father got me um, a lot. <laughs> um, I, um, the... The thing that like that really uh, impressed me about this movie is that I was so focused on tropes. Um, I thought that like, um, you know, I thought that uh, you know that his boss was his dad for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were, you know, that's kind of the direction. Yeah, in which no, they I were could going. have totally seen seen that being the case, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and that the uh, and that his assistant is the waitress that he ran away with. Like, I totally thought that was going to happen. Mm. And uh, 
it didn't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I, very, very well shot, like beautiful movie. Absolutely gorgeous. I was explaining to Bethany as we were watching this, that the Japanese are very, uh, proud of the fact that, um, Japan has four seasons mm-hmm. and we get to see, uh, pretty much all the seasons in this movie. You see the seasons change and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's quite, quite beautiful. Uh, yeah, I yeah. forgot to remark on it that the film actually ends like it begins uh, in winter and then backs up a little bit, but that the uh, the the narrative actually ends in spring where we see cherry blossoms, which are very much a, a kind of symbol of the, mm. the vibrancy of life, um, yeah. especially in Japan. Yeah, um, it, it's weird because the the stuff with the stone and his dad. Uh, I want it like it should be something that felt tacked on, but it didn't because he brought up like the fact that his dad was a deadbeat and, you know, um, you know, who cares where he is? He's probably in a ditch somewhere. Uh, you know, he, that was like Chekhov's gun, you know, like, well, Mm -hmm. eventually it's gotta, gotta come back to his dad, which, which is why I thought, uh, you know, boss was going to be his dad. Like, Mm -hmm. And mm. even, ha- but when he uh, calls him up to his office, that's when I, that's when I was like, oh no, that's not the case at all. Is it like, I don't know. I, I was so focused on that, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, um, that, uh, I didn't even think about the rest of the movie until stuff just happened. So, uh, all the, all the, uh, gut punches were very effective on me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially the, uh, the old man um, who was at the bathhouse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for sure. I thought that was, that was sad and sweet. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, um, I, it wasn't that they didn't end up being that the boss was the dad. I, I think especially once he finds his dead body and looks at his face for the first time and it's just kind of like, it's just a guy, you know, it's just, he's mm-hmm. just a guy um, really, you know, is a, is a powerful and interesting uh, thing to put into a, a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little hung up on, on tropes in that I was actually expecting the boss to die at some point. And mm. they, they do have a scene where he's like, I, I think it, uh, uh, during the montage where he's like asleep on the couch and and they're like he's getting old uh but it's never it's not to a point or anything um yeah but yeah I, the dad stuff i was like super not invested in throughout the entire movie until it comes full circle at the end and i realized that yeah like this is the kind of uh ultimate representation of the kind of closure that that this process can give to a family uh, in that he is doing it for himself Mm. and that like we are finally closing the loop on, on this part of his life. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. But yeah, uh, I, I really loved, uh, the movie. Uh, I was, aside from getting hung up on a few tropes, I was just kind of along for the ride. Cause I, aside from the main plot, I didn't really know what happened. Wasn't trying to get one step ahead or anything. And yeah, I on is, uh, going back to, to sweet bean. It's there's, there's a very predictable punch at the end. Uh, but I think like this one there it's less predictable and, 
I, I think Sweet Bean is is earned too, but like especially in this film, like the the kind of gut punches and emotional beats are incredibly well earned, and so so uh, deftly performed. Um, I I cried at the part, like I said, with the uh, with the uh, the women in the family leaving kisses on the dead husband. And then also at the uh, the uh, the old man uh, working the the cremation oven when he was saying goodbye. Um, but yeah, I I like this a lot. I have similar to Motoki. I have a lot of interest in kind of like death customs and and whatnot. So it was I, I knew a little bit going into this uh, about uh the 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 subject but it was researching for the for this episode uh was really fascinating and like i just really enjoy the interplay of like trying to to find meaning in death and the ways that um we handle the subject and and try to move on and uh i think in addition to the smaller human stories in it just the the way it handles that topic in general is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's something that makes this movie really special. Aside from just how well shot and the performances are, is the music. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, and uh, Joe Hisaishi does an incredible job scoring this whole movie. Um, I feel like the looking around it the main theme seems to be the standout for most people but my favorite piece of music in this is actually the the very beginning uh over the kind of snowstorm hmm. and just the way it starts out uh like i said sparse and a little foreboding and then kind of warms up but just like the sheer emotion in in the score is uh is incredible and the way that it helps kind of guide the scenes to let us know how to feel is is like that like that's music's job but the the, the way he accomplishes it is so deft yeah uh, were there any standout parts of the music for y'all um overall I just thought the music was lovely uh, it was a perfect compliment to um, to the scenery to uh, you know um to the ceremonies, um, it, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that, um, that the cello did sound, you know, much more different than the, uh, than the score itself, but, uh, it made, it made, uh, it more impactful, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the cello was, uh, it was a part of, part of him, you know, uh, an interesting note about it is uh, Hisaishi uh, apparently talked about how difficult scoring this film was because he had a lot of trouble trying to figure out how to make like a cello forward score <laughs> because it is a kind of like less prominent instrument in, yeah. in a lot of ways that uh, but I think he, he accomplished it masterfully. It's visually a really good instrument for for 
the character to play because it just like mm. looks very good uh, with him. Like I, I think my favorite scene of him playing the cello is probably the Christmas scene. Um, yeah, and and the music and that's great too. Um, something that I I saw in looking around at pieces of reviews was that uh, the cello seemed like a kind of extra poignant instrument to feature because it's roughly human shaped and sized mm-hmm. yeah and you play it kind of cradling it against your body yeah and is it and he's playing like his childhood a cello, child's cello so it's yeah. like a smaller cello which is an interesting thing and you know there's probably something to be read into that about like kind of holding on to his you know childhood uh parts of his childhood that he hasn't let go and things like that like his his childhood self mm-hmm. and it's total just holding it yeah um, i did i did think <clears throat> that the montage was a little cheesy like it kind of was like a music video or something <laughs> 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 yeah just him around. inexplicably playing outside and yeah. from the mountain was a little out that of place that kind of made me chuckle how, to myself yeah. <laughs> but i mean i guess like if <laughs> if they if they want to like spin their wheels on this and have just like this fancy shot for no real reason i feel like they've earned it by now yeah totally um <laughs> uh joey what was your favorite part uh, my favorite part was when we first see the boss doing the job where uh, after he's been hired and it's the woman with where he has the family go get uh, her lipstick and stuff like that. Because you really like see kind of, you know, a master doing his work, you know, um, a maestro and 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 it feels very impactful. I think that scene in particular makes it believable that the main character wouldn't want to give up this job because he's really seen somebody, uh, you know, doing a very meaningful craft, not only uh, for himself, but, but for the family more, more importantly for the family that's there and stuff. And, and I, I thought that that scene was really beautiful and really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I've reading about it. No gets compared very often to the, the tea ceremony, mm. which uh, I very much get in that. Like it is so it's, it's ritual, not in just sense, like the things that happen, but the very specific deliberate movements as they like move the kimono and the blanket and things. And like, it is incredible, like very precise, deliberate, like m- movement, not just in terms of uh, the, uh, the yeah the acts of the ritual, but each each tiny like micro act of it. Right, it's somewhat theatrical as well as being um, utilitarian. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, Alex. Yeah, um, gosh, Joey's scene, I think, might be up there for me. Um, but, uh, you know, it might be the, um, probably the scene where he performs uh, the no-con of the uh, the bathhouse lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, he has, you know, become a master of his craft, and, and that's such a pivotal moment, uh, you know, not just for him, but for, you know, for 
her family, for his you know, his friend, and for his wife too. Um, and uh, and and it's it's kind of uh, it's it's sad and sweet. That's the the old lady we we've seen a couple times in the movie, but we you know she was developed as a character, uh, and you're sort of rooting for her son at that point to, you know, okay, well don't sell the bathhouse now. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, and it's uh, a bit more of a gut punch because she's like, she's an older lady, but she's not actually that old. Like it, yeah. it would have been plausible for her to run that bathhouse for like another 20 years, um, yeah. with help. But yeah, it's, it's a, a gut punch of a scene in a lot of ways. Yeah, like everything in that scene is sort of like it's the culmination of of her entire arc, mm-hmm. uh, and also her sons. Uh, like I said, you're rooting for, you know, this bathhouse that has been in their family for so long to keep going, uh, and um, you know, it's it's a nice resolution. It's it's, uh, yeah, I I really love that scene. Mm-hmm. I. Uh... I also really love the first no con ceremony, but that like I was so thrown off by the like comedy treatment of finding a penis. And like, I, I sat there like breath held, like waiting for just being like, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no. Uh, And then, but like I said, it, it may, it still used that scene as a comedy beat, which I'm unhappy with, but it, it course corrected and, turned it like subsequently was very respectful mm-hmm. um which like i i love the, the that whole scene uh both the flat the uh the one version of the beginning of the movie and the completion of it uh later on but i think what really resonates with me is when he goes up to the boss's living space and we just see all those plants and he talks about his wife yeah um and kind of like, I feel like it kind of lays out the core ethos of the movie in that scene. And, and I just like love his performance there. I love the set decoration, um, which is, uh, both, both this and the, uh, the coffee house, um, just like the, the set decoration throughout the film is, is really impeccable. Um, yeah, that's an that's an awesome office. I want it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, get to planting now. Um, uh, so this is something that is like my mind completely blinked on this month. But did uh, either of y'all have any uh, for the shall we dance section of the podcast? Did y'all have any like uh, ideas on American casting or an American remake of this? Mm, it seems pretty specific to Japan. I was thinking yeah. that as I was watching the movie, because <laughs> I feel like if you work at a funeral home, people aren't going to judge you, right? Like that's not exactly. Uh, people might think you're creepy, but they're not going to think that you're like beneath them. I don't yeah. think here or in like the West, make their make their daughter not even acknowledge you on the street. Yeah. You know, like I don't know, like what? So six feet under, right? That's about a bunch of like weirdos that work in a. Um, <laughs> funeral home but you know mm-hmm. that it's they have to be kind of accentuated as weirdos rather than being just the fact that they work here makes them creepy you know yeah yeah 
And, yeah, and we th- do have our fair share of like funeral based uh, films mm-hmm, in for sure. here, mm-hmm. like b- between between things like Six Feet Under and the the Big Chill and a dozen other things ranging from drama to comedy. Mm-hmm. I think you would have to take the overall like you know you'd have to sort of pick a theme and do an adaptation that way. I don't see this ever (laughs) like I feel like they would have turned it into an American remake somehow already uh, given given you know the fact that it won the Oscar that year yeah Uh, yeah I I forgot to talk about that um, which I I will after this section but um, yeah I feel like if they were going to remake it in in the West that they would it would just be the core idea that somebody misread uh, or there was a misprinted wanted ad and a guy thought he was working at a travel agency and ended up being a mortician's apprentice. Mm -hmm. But like there would be, it would have to be such a different movie from that point because there's so much less kind of cultural baggage uh, with that position and so much less kind of, there's still a lot of importance of that. And like, Western death death customs, but it's far less ritualized in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So for the Oscar, uh, it it, this won the best foreign film Academy Award in two thousand nine, and is was pretty notable for it because uh, that same year the Israeli film Waltz with Bashir, which is a mostly autobiographical account of a uh, now journalist who was recalling his time in the IDF during uh, the war with Lebanon um, was the odds on favorite to win that category Mm. um, for both because it's my understanding it's, it's an incredibly uh, powerful and fascinating looking movie, but uh it seemed to resonate a lot more with critics over here than, uh, than the departures did, but, uh, departures managed the upset. And so this film, uh, and so, so very fascinating that, um, director Yoji, uh, Yojiro Takeda went from directing pink films to, uh, being an Oscar winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I do think it's it is uh, it's pretty powerful. The idea that like um, Motoki had this idea for a film based on something he saw. And like this between the time between the idea and when they finally got the movie made was something like 10 years. And just the idea that he fought for this movie to to exist for so long. And then it it managed to receive that recognition is pretty, pretty great to me. Yeah. Um, so the Takashi Shimura award, um, um, Alex. Uh, yeah. Um, so I would give the Takashi Shimura award to Mr. Yamashita, uh, the old man, um, who, uh, was at the bathhouse who worked at the crematorium. I think that he, uh, he served a very um, uh, Shimura esque uh, role in this in this film. Um, his his speech uh, during during the cremation ceremony 
and um i don't know that that kind of got me yeah that was the most <laughs> emotional part for me uh watching this movie um i think i didn't quite connect with it the same way that you guys did but i that his scene is the one that uh hit me the hardest and so he was the one that i was going to nominate as well Hmm. um i would nominate uh kimiko yo the actress who played uh yuriko the secretary Mm -hmm. because Ah, that was my runner-up yeah (laughs) yeah she's very good yeah, the the small bit she is in the movie where she is kind of acting as a liaison between like the bosses, just kind of like knowing grunts most of the time, and and uh, Daigo's there's like explaining to Daigo how the boss actually operates, and then her uh, her speech where she explains how she ended up there, and and particularly her delivery of the line like uh, when I go, I want him to send me. Um, like just her her awe and reverence for the kind of job that the boss does is such that once she saw it, she immediately knew that like when when I go like this, he he has to be here to to send me off. Was uh, I I love her delivery on that? Yeah, she was for sure my favorite character who I was always the happiest to see on screen because mm-hmm. uh, she was very charismatic and very fun to watch. And I always kind of liked watching her just kind of like pour tea with her elaborate tea sets that she uh, often wasn't even like sharing with <laughs> anybody else. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought she was great too. Um, but as far as like emotional scenes, the, the, the one in the incinerator was the, mm. the most, uh, for me biggest stand up yeah yeah and and my runner up takashi shimura award for like outstanding performance is uh the space heaters that show up in every scene oh my god just prominently <laughs> featured in the middle of the shot and at one point the the uh uh bathhouse lady actually trying to light one up with a little uh bellows type thing <laughs> um but yeah, like those were just so prominent to me and they're not something that we see very often over here. So it's like fascinating to me. That's so funny. Fr- Melissa framing. pointed those out too. She's like, those seem so dangerous. And I totally grew up with one of those. Uh, my family <laughs> oh, had really? one and it was always a big thing. Like, don't touch that. It's hot. Don't touch it. It's hot. Cause you know, I was a kid and uh, I remember being very scared of those little space, those space heaters with the wires off to the side because they got super crazy hot and I wasn't supposed to touch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the bellows that she's using makes me think that those might actually be like some kind of, uh, wood fire or something mm. heaters. Um, but I don't know. Uh, but yeah, any, any final thoughts on the film? Yeah, I loved it. Loved yeah. it. Would, would watch it again. Um, it was very, uh, very sweet. Um, me and Bethany both had a very good cry while watching it. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a wonderful pick. Yeah. I'm looking forward to actually watching it with Amy at some point because there are schedules lately have been so messed up that I did not get, we did not get a chance to sit down Aww. and just like sit through it together, but someday, yeah, um, that's too bad. But, uh, I'm, I'm very glad that she recommended it to us and it campaigned for us to, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, to, to finally see it and cover it. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I loved it too. I'm very happy about it. 
uh alex what are we doing next month ah next month we are going to be covering uh akira kurosawa's movie Redbeard or akahige um featuring the incomparable toshiro mifune uh i have not seen this movie yet I, it was recommended to me by a friend uh, a little while ago and if you have the Criterion channel, if you subscribe to the Criterion channel, this is one of the movies that is featured in the catalog. So that is one of that is one of the many ways that you can watch this movie right now. And that's how I will be watching it for sure. Nice. Yeah, I um, have not seen it either. I'm excited for it. And I like that we're having like a little mini theme duo of uh, apprentices under test turn uh, bosses. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, so as always, uh, if you're looking for me on the internet, you can find me at Vriska chat on Twitter, V R I S K A C H A T. Um, Alex, where can folks find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at dude exclamation. That's all one word, um, on Twitter, of course, and Instagram, if you so choose, uh, also superartfight.com slash merch, please buy cute animals on fire. The card game that I helped work on with super art fight the greatest art competition in the known universe. Uh, <laughs> you can also listen to me every week on the One Piece podcast. Uh, we are, um, as of this recording, we'll be going to Japan in less than a week, and uh, I'm very excited. And if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can get access to a lot of cool stuff that we'll be doing while over there. Um, so that's patreon.com slash One Piece podcast. Uh, and do do this and other schedules that next episode will probably be late as well <laughs> yeah definitely um and i'm joey wise at joey wiser on twitter and joey wiser comics on instagram um and uh my new graphic novel ghost hog is out now it's out hooray Ooh, and it's great <laughs> it's out and it's great i loved it oh thank you um so yep that's very exciting i just had a book release event and it debuted at tcaf and stuff and and next and in june i'm gonna be at heroes con in charlotte uh north carolina and uh then the weekend after that at the american library association show um at in washington dc so if you're going to be at either of those uh please come and say hi i'll have tables where i'll have my books out and uh, be happy to talk about my comics or japanese movies or whatever you want to talk about um and as for the podcast, Toho Yaro is on Twitter at Toho Yaro, and we have a Facebook page that you can like. Um, and um, let's see, and you can email us at tohoyaro at gmail.com. And please subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast listening uh, software of choice. All right. Well, next month, be sure to join us for uh, Akahige Redbeard. Uh, until then, bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.